We all make mistakes. I hope you can agree with me so far. Some mistakes can lead to great things. The pharmacist who made Coca-Cola was actually intending on trying to make a a medicine to relieve headaches. Great mistake. Um, Christopher Columbus thought he was heading to Asia when he discovered what Europeans call the New World. Some mistakes are a bit more embarrassing. In 1631, there was a printing of the Bible uh, in which the word not did not appear before the seventh commandment. And so, if you're not sure, I'm going to give you a clue to, to which commandment that may be. This Bible was called the Adulterer's Bible. Another name for it is the Wicked Bible. Some of those copies are still found in museums. Um, Sometimes mistakes can be a little bit more more personal. Uh, I was scammed once, to my shame, and uh, it cost me uh, more than a hundred euros. I'll just put it that way. Um, I know a a couple who had planned an expensive lake uh, cruise vacation, and they were at the right location and everything, and went, but by the time they made it, they realized that their boat had left 24 hours before they got there. So as embarrassing, as even life-changing these mistakes may appear, there is a worst mistake. And uh, Malachi 3, 13 through 4, 3 addresses this mistake of eternal significance. It is the worst mistake. It is being wrong about God. And so we're going to talk about the theme of God's justice. If you were here two weeks ago, you're like, wait, didn't we just cover this? Look, Malachi decided to do it twice, so we're going to do it (laughs) twice as well. And so both the text we saw two weeks ago and again this week, it seems like the people were misunderstanding God's justice. And so our text exists to kind of correct those false notions about God's justice. So Malachi 2.17, apparently the people were saying, God delights in those who practice evil. And then they were wearying the Lord by asking, where is the God of justice? Again, our text is going to address a similar issue um, with people not believing that God is just. They do not understand the consequences of whether you're in a right or wrong relationship with God. This is what our text is going to tackle. Our text explains eternal bliss with beautiful imagery. It also talks about eternal damnation. So we're going to see in our first three verses, verses 13 through 15, um, the uncovering of attacks on God's justice. And then in verses 16 all the way to 4-3, a vindication of God's justice. So we begin first in verses 13 through 15 with God's justice being distorted. So the people of Malachi, um, in this time they had returned from exile. While they were in exile, they were promised many great things. The promises of the new covenant, they returned back in the land and they're still waiting those promises to be fulfilled and it's as if 
they were starting to become a bit disappointed in their, their disappointment was starting to show. And so uh, Malachi, there are six different disputations. It's six calls or invitations to return back to God, to come back to the covenant. And this literary device that we see called a disputation has three parts. So there's a statement. Sometimes it's an accusation. Then there's an objection. The people seem to object to everything this prophet has to say. And then the third part is the proof of the original statement or uh, the accusation. So the Malachi begins with a reminder of God's love for his people. And then the, the second disputation is a, a call to care more about worship and the accurate teaching of the scriptures. They need to stop harming their wives by divorcing them and acting faithlessly towards one another. Um, we already saw this theme of they need to have a proper understanding of God's justice. They need to seek refuge in the Lord since he does not change. That's what we saw last week in honoring God with the tithe. And so now again, we're going to talk about the theme of justice. And the accusation is your words have been hard against me. As the people have been doing, they object. And they say, how have we spoken against you. And so as they did in the fourth disputation, the people deny God's justice. And so we're going to study that lie a little bit. It seems like it has two facets. On one hand, in verse 14, the first deception is they believe that there are no benefits to serving God. The people claim that those who serve the Lord serve in vain. Then the second half of the lie is found in verse 15. It's that there are no consequences for sin. They're saying the arrogant are blessed, evildoers prosper, and they escape God's judgment. So these are the, the lies that they believed that the prophet is addressing. And it seems like people don't change. We still believe those same lives, lies. I think that these lives play out in our lives today. People think that religion is just superstition. Uh, religion restricts the amount of fun that you can have. Religion is used to oppress and to control the people. Um, Christopher Hitchens is an atheist. He died not too long ago, and he wrote a book called um, God is Not Great. And in this book, he tries to show that there are no benefits to godliness, no benefits to adhering to a religion. One of the chapters, he argues at length um, that uh, religious people do not behave better than the non-religious. And in fact, religion has disastrous effects for the world. He describes the corruption within religious institutions. He also notes the long history of child abuse connected with religion. So first, from a logical standpoint, I'll show you why I disagree with the book. Um, he commits, I love fallacies. He, he commits the false cause fallacy. So he's showing just because two things appear together that one must have caused the other without actually proving the connection. 
I think we can agree with Hitchens on all the evil that he points out. As God's church, we want to be above reproach. We want to operate in ways that are transparent, that are accountable. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, but I like the Presbyterian model where we, we all want to be under authority and accountable. We have a system that's transparent so that to limit sin as much as possible. It's impossible to do fully and perfectly, but we want accountability and transparency. And we will fail. And we need to confess our sins and repent. Now, when a crime occurs in a church context, we cannot cover it up. We live in a country with laws, and we, we want to seek legal help when needed. Um, the government is a gift to all people. It's to protect the innocent and to judge the wicked. And so the church should not be ashamed of um, reporting crimes that even happen within its own walls. Some churches do keep a crime secret. We actually have a long history in the church of wanting to keep um, crime secret. And often they do it in the name of protecting God's reputation. If you're following the Christian news, like there are stories that are still coming out in big denominations in America about uh, this kind of thing. And so I think when an atheist accuses religious organizations of wickedness, we don't have to deny it if it's true. It's, it's okay. But I think Hitchens does, there is a flaw in what he's saying, and he is committing the same mistake as the people were in Malachi's day, when he claims that it is in vain that people serve the Lord. I would just argue, yeah, those crimes are real. Those people weren't serving the Lord. You're like, we're talking about two different things. What about all the good that comes out of religion? The Christian church has been behind the founding of so many schools, so many hospitals, so many orphanages. And I hope that even personally, you find great joy in, communi- in communing with the God of the universe when you pray. I hope that you find it very beneficial to gather weekly to worship Him with His people. And note on the Christian fellowship, if we are all born again, we are new creatures. So when we gather together, we experience a kind of new creation fellowship. And so I would say that there's a lot to be gained by uh, seeking to uh, serve the Lord and enjoy the blessings that he has for us. Now, the, the second half of the lie that there are no consequences to godlessness, um, that lie is still alive today. So Christians believe that the Bible comes from God and that God created the world. And so if we live according to his standards, it's kind of he's the engineer. He will tell us how to use the product. And, and so the way we thrive in the world that he created is by obeying his word. But um, Christ- critics of Christianity claim that um, the, the, the laws in the Bible are arbitrary or perhaps they're primitive, old fashioned. Say that you can't live today in our world of following standards from. 2,000 years ago. Um, Those who are anti-religion, I think, often would would make this statement. 
As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, then who are we to judge? This is their standard of morality. Um, I would argue that if you do live that way, the way you live will look quite close to um, the way presented in the Bible. Of course, we need to understand the, the biblical laws within their uh, redemptive, covenantal, and cultural contexts, but I don't think people actually live according to that statement, even in our culture. There is a higher value to um, not just harming other people. I think the highest value is being authentic to our true selves, and we define true selves ourselves, so it's going to look different for everyone. And in the pursuit of this authenticity, people don't have a problem with harming people that will get in their way to get what they want. Um, so I'm just going to give you one example. Um, we could consider adultery. Um, just two consenting adults uh, not hurting anyone. Um, yet, there are consequences. Not every time, but there can be consequences, such as sexually transmitted diseases, divorce, and abortion. Divorce leads to less stable environments for children to grow up in, and abortion is the killing of the innocent made in God's image. At the root of every sin is believing the lie that's written in our text, that we can put God to the test and we will escape judgment. Christians believe this lie as well. Every time we sin. In the back of our minds, we're like, oh, it's not that bad. There probably won't be consequences. Sin is serious. We will see. Um, now, a quick little gospel twist to these verses. Now that we're in Christ, ironically, one of the lies has kind of become true. Uh, we can identify as the righteous being spoken of in this text um, by our relationship with God in Christ. But we also know that by the flesh, we are the arrogant of the text. We are the evildoers for whom Jesus has died. And we are also these evildoers who do escape judgment. Just put it out there. The gospel kind of twists a little bit the, the truth of this passage. Now we're going to look in our second point in verses 16 through 18. We're going to see, um, so following the lie about God's justice, now the truth about God's justice for the righteous and the wicked. And so remember in the disputation, you have three elements. You have the statement, the, the objection, and then the, the proof. The rest of our text fits within that third element of the disputation. The, the people's words have been hard against the Lord, that they have misrepresented him. And now in verses 16 through 18 of Malachi 3, there's a correction of that first lie, that it is in vain that people serve the Lord. In Malachi 3.16, we read that God will bless those who fear him throughout history. That is how people have had a relationship with God. Even before the coming of Jesus, the righteous in the Old Testament were righteous by faith 
by trusting in God, by fearing the Lord. These are different ways of putting it. I know that the concept of fear of God, the fear of the Lord can sound a little bit weird in our day and age. And yes, there is a component of legitimate, you know, when you think of fear and being afraid, um, when we are in the presence of an infinite and holy God. But I also think another tangible way to think of the fear of God is in contrast with the fear of man. So the question is, who are you trying to please? Who are you most afraid of when God's will goes against the grain of cultural pressures? The fear of the Lord means we resist temptation. We continue to try to please God even when man or the culture around us tells us to live differently. Despite the belief that it is in vain that people serve the Lord, Malachi 3.17 teaches us that those who fear the Lord will escape judgment. And then Malachi 3.18 through 4.3 marks a clear contrast between the righteous and the wicked. If you've been here for most of these Malachi sermons, it's been kind of, the note has been on the harsher side. It seems like, okay, there's a lot of rebuking going on. It's quite argumentative between uh, statements and objections and proofs. Um, But there has been some warmer and softer sides as well. Just remember how the book began on that note of love. I think it was last week we saw again a reminder that the people of Israel weren't destroyed because God does not change and he's faithful to his promises. Something that we can really cling on to as well as believers today. God does not change. He will persevere with us to the end. Again in our text, we have some very kind words from God to his people. This is in Malachi 3.16. God's word to believers is that he hears them. And, and there's a book of remembrance that is written for them. This is a book that records the, the deeds of the saints. And then finally, that they will be the Lord's. They will be his treasured possession. What this means is that serving the Lord is not in vain. Knowing this encourages us to persevere in doing good. Even if we look around us and see other people who don't seem to be concerned about serving the Lord and seem to be doing just fine without God. When things get hard, when things do not go as we would have hoped that they would Malachi 3, 16 through 18, ministers to us. Christians, God hears us. He listens to us. He remembers us. He remembers our service to him. We can know that we are his. We can know that we belong to him. We are his treasured possession. This means we are valuable to God. He cares for us. And verse 17 assures us, that God will spare us from the judgment to come. So let's not let our circumstances teach us anything different than what is spoken to us in this text. And we know this even more now that we live on the other side 
of Calvary, God sent his only son to die for us, that he would forgive those who trust in him. The sacrifice of Jesus shows us how precious we are to God. Now, finally, in Malachi 3, 18 through 4, 3, we're going to see God's justice in the final judgment and final salvation. So the, the first half of the lie was that there's no advantage to a godly life or to serving God. The second half of the lie is that actually wickedness leads to prosperity. This can be true. Perhaps it is true. For a time. Malachi 4, 1-3 shows out that the working of God's justice for the wicked and the righteous. Now on his schedule. There will be final judgment. There will be final salvation. So Malachi 4, 1 corrects Malachi 3, 15. The arrogant and the wicked will be stubble. And we have a picture of eternal damnation with a fire that leaves neither root nor branch. Those God judges will lose all hope of restoration or the possibility of doing any more evil. And then Malachi 4.3 pictures the righteous crushing them under their feet. Um, the lie about Malachi 3, in Malachi 3.16, is that serving and fearing God was in vain. But the truth now in Malachi 4.2 is that those who fear the Lord will experience healing and be like calves leaping in the stall. I um, heard of this story where there was a group of students that had an intensive class studying the Old Testament. For a whole week, they went through the whole thing. And the teacher began the class by asking the students, what are some hard questions that you have about the Old Testament? And he would write them on the board. And as he, he was seeing the different students interact, he noticed that one student seemed a little bit uneasy. She said nothing, asked no questions. And one day during one of the breaks, she stayed behind. It seemed like something was bothering her. So the, the teacher asked her, what's going on? And she said, actually, I do have a question. She asked, why is it the people with disabilities could not enter into the presence of God? They weren't allowed in the temple. They could not draw near to God. The teacher did not know what to say. And then as she walked away to take her break, the teacher noticed that she had a limp. Um, at the very end of the class, they got to Malachi, and they read Malachi 4.2. But for you, who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with, with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. At that point, the teacher looked at her and said, I think you may have part of your answer in this text. If we do look at the world and the current state of things, we will get a wrong idea about God's justice. Things are not yet as they should be. The wicked prosper. Some do, some don't. Some will continue to prosper. Um, some who serve God prosper. Some don't. Some suffer. Persecution. 
or various kinds of trials. But suffering in the Christian life just makes us, it reminds us of the life that Jesus led. He suffered before dying on a cross, before being raised from the grave. And this text also offers us a picture of the Christian hope. It is our hope that we can imagine leaping like calves out of a stall because Christ was raised from the dead. And this allows us, this picture allows us to endure through suffering in this life. We know that when Christ returns, we will enjoy eternal bliss. The image of calves leaping in the field and the stall portrays health and joy. We know that one day God will make all things right. When I say all things, this includes all things. It means personal problems, emotional issues, it means relational, even societal problems will be made right. At this point, you may be like, well, why can't Jesus come back now? I agree, I want him to come back now. But there is one piece of good news if, if he waits. It comes from Second Peter 3, 9. The more Jesus waits, the more people come to know him. Hallelujah. Uh, so to conclude, we all make mistakes. And our mistakes can have different layers of uh, levels of consequences. The, the couple that arrived at their lake cruise the wrong day, like that mistake cost them thousands of uh, dollars to fix. Our passage deals with a problem of eternal consequences, which concerns misinterpreting God's justice. If the wicked do prosper today, it is because of God's grace and his kindness towards them is to lead them to repentance. When we suffer, if we suffer well, we get to show the world that God is more precious than comfort and possessions. Based on our observations of the world today, we could conclude that God blesses the wicked and that serving him is in vain. But our passage teaches us about the final state. The righteous will experience eternal bliss with no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering. The wicked will know justice and be destroyed. The bad news is that no one deserves the the bliss that God offers. The good news is that he has made it available to all today. Jesus lived a perfect life in his ministry. He reversed the curses of sin at the cross. He bore our sin. He accepted the punishment that we deserve. And now for anyone who trusts in Jesus, who is among those who fear God, all the blessings of this passage are yours. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we, there are so much different elements in this passage. We can recognize at times that um, we do misread the things that we see around us. Um, we can, at times, believe the lie that uh, prosperity comes from lying, from cheating, from stealing, and wonder if Um, serving you does have benefits. We know um, even within the Bible that people suffered at great lengths because of their faith for you. But Father, this 
text also offers us a gift, a very vivid picture of the eternal state of um, the, the blessings that await all those who fear you, and also a, a warning of judgment. So, Father, I pray that um, you would comfort us with this text. You would also convict those, perhaps, who, who need to stop believing the lie that this passage um, highlights, but also that you would give us all a sense of urgency, that not only we would be comforted and joyful because of this message, but also that we would be eager to share this with other people. We pray these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.